Hello. Welcome to the Conversations with Megan podcast. My name is Megan Brown. Some years ago, I suffered a medical emergency and had a near-death experience. During that near-death experience, I visited heaven. Join me in conversation with my friend John as I discuss what happened to me there. Megan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from originally? How old are you? Well, I am originally from Southern California. I grew up in Studio City, California, on a farm uh, that my great-grandfather built during World War II. I'm 54 years old. I currently live in Arizona. And so how old were you when this event that we're going to talk about occurred? I was 38. Okay. And so what year roughly was that? 2007. And so you found yourself in the midst of a medical emergency. Do you want to tell me specifically what that medical emergency was? Well, before I knew about the medical emergency, everything was normal. (laughs) My day went normal. I got up. I made breakfast that day. I took my son to school. He was four at the time. Um, I went and worked out with the trainer. I went to the grocery store, did all of my errands, went home, started cooking, picked up my son from school, uh, had a friend over and her kids for dinner, drank a beer. (laughs) I mean, it was just a wonderful evening. I lived in this beautiful home in Branson, Missouri at the time, and it was above the lake. So my view was spectacular. It was just this, it was, it was a great life, you know? And, um, I, after dinner, I cleaned everything and, you know, got my son to bed and I went to bed and I started getting this really bad stomach ache. And I thought, well, this is so strange. I've never felt anything like this before. So I started to do my yoga poses, uh, breathing exercises and stretching in order to relax my abdomen and my pelvic area, uh, it wasn't working. So I called my husband at the time, we're divorced now, but I called him on the phone and explained to him what was happening to me. But he was on the East Coast for work, and um, there was nothing really he could do for me other than listen. And I said, okay, well, I've got to go to bed. I've got to try and get some sleep. Maybe I'll feel better, you know, tomorrow. But the night was definitely filled with more pain, um, just an unusual evening to say the least. Um, I had to call my girlfriend, the one who came over for dinner, and ask her to come watch my son with her kids, wake him up in the middle of the night, and I had to drive myself to the hospital. And I was in the hospital for a number of hours I don't know, three, four hours in the ER, maybe five. And they drugged me for my pain. I don't even know what they gave me. And I had to call another girlfriend to come and get me out of the hospital because I couldn't drive. <laughs> I mean, it was it was amazing. All they did was, was drug you for the pain. They didn't diagnose anything. Uh, no, they didn't diagnose a thing, not one thing. Hmm. 
So I got picked up. I had to fumble. It was, it, it was light out when I left the emergency room. Uh, it was light out. And I remember looking around for my friend's car and I saw my car and I found her, got in her car. We went back to my house. But be- wait, before we went back to my house, I said, I have to go to the store. I didn't get to go to the store yesterday. So I was in so, I was so drugged and I was still in pain, but I couldn't not go to the store for my son. This is what I was thinking about. I have to make sure his life doesn't get, you know, in an upheaval because mom couldn't sleep last night and, you know, he and, didn't. And how old, how old was your son at that time? He was four at the time. Okay. So he's really a little guy. Yeah. But... You know, I went to the store and I remember leaning over the cart as I'm trying to get vegetables and fruits. And this lady was, you know, she's looking at me like, Megan, why don't I just take you home? I said, no, no, I've got to, I've got to finish this. I've just got to finish this. So I get my grocery shopping done and we get back to my house and I get into bed and my son comes running in. And now both of these ladies are talking out in the kitchen about what to do. And I, I couldn't even think about anything. And I'm laying there. My son comes running in and he says, mom, mom, let's go out and play. And I said, oh, sweetheart, just let mommy sleep for a little bit. I didn't sleep well last night. And then I'll come out and I'll collect frogs with you. Cause we used to collect frogs or snakes. He likes snakes. But anyway, I fell asleep. I don't know if it was a half hour or an hour. And then I woke up in excruciating pain that was worse than when I drove myself to the hospital in the middle of the night. So I told my girlfriend, I had to call her back and say, please take me down to the hospital again. And I, I was in there for a number of hours. I think it was throughout the rest of that day. Actually it was because when I left that hospital, I remember being on the gurney and it was, it was dark. That's all I remember. But they sent me to another hospital in Springfield, Missouri, um, which was about 52 miles away, where they had an endocrinologist. Uh, They didn't have one. Or gastroenterologist, excuse me. It was a gastroenterologist that I needed, and they didn't have one in Branson at this hospital where I was. So I got sent to this other hospital, and another girlfriend of mine showed up, Gina, and, you know, Gina, everybody else left, and Gina went out and interviewed, she, she's like this, she went out and interviewed the ambulance driver and basically asked him, which hospital would you send your family to? And so he told her and she said, great, this is where I want her to go because nobody was there to speak for me. And so she, and I didn't know her well at all. I only met her a few times actually at that point. So, um, it was uh, it was quite a night. I wound up in another hospital, and I, you know, got assigned a hospitalist. I don't remember the guy until I fired him, <laughs> but it was it was a lot of pain for a few days. It was a lot of pain. When did the pain stop, or what happened after after you uh, had this episode? Well, what wound up happening was I was in such severe pain and they realized, oh, she's got C. diff colitis. 
I don't even remember how they figured that one out. And and so they said, okay, we're just going to, she's got a severe case of this. Okay, we'll keep her in. We know what to do here and we'll give her morphine. So they gave me morphine. And I remember the morphine wasn't working. Uh, I remember laying there just, oh my God, agonizing. And I kept ringing the nursing station, which really irritated them. I didn't care. I was in so much pain. All I could think of was my son and I didn't know what was happening. So I got into this fear mode that was uncertainty. It was, it's something that when you're in the mode, you know that something's so wrong in your body, you know you're going to die. That's how I felt. I felt, is this the death? Wait, what's going on here? So I had an inkling that death was coming. And um, it took a number of days to get this hospitalist to pay attention to me. So finally, um, you know, after being told by the nurses, well, we'll get in there as soon as we're done with the other patients. Nope, we're sorry, we can't get in there now. I got brushed off and brushed off again. But finally, the hospitalist shows up in there and, you know, he's telling me, I, I'm here, what is your problem? And I said, I'm in so much pain. I'm giving him complete details um, where the pain was and how it was moving around. And, you know, he's just listening, standing there. And he just looked at me and says, I've given you two milligrams of morphine. I've upped you to four milligrams of morphine. I think you're a drug seeker. So in that moment, I knew why I wasn't getting any help. Because I had abs at the time. I was 140 pounds. I'm 5'8". Maybe I was 138. And I, I mean, I was in great physical shape. So here's this guy accusing me of being a drug seeker. Meanwhile, I don't do drugs, you know, and I'm thinking, how is it? You know, it's beyond me. I have no idea. But in that moment, when he said that, I was infuriated. And I remember hearing, now mind you, I forgot to tell you this. So John, I grew up Roman Catholic. I'm gonna back up here a second. I grew up Roman Catholic and at age 20, uh, something traumatic happened to me where I just quit believing in anything, like there was any hope of anything. So I became an atheist. And then I remember, you know, there was like a part of me in my 20s, in my mid 20s, I thought, well, maybe there's something. I doubt it, I don't know. You know, so I, you could put me on the agnostic borderline, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to. But really, I was an atheist because I was a firm believer that there was nothing. And when you die, you just, you know, you're either going to get cremated, put in the ground, the end. So at that moment, when he accused me of being a drug seeker, fast forwarding to where I left you, um, it was... It, there was a voice that I heard that said, make a scene, make it big, or you won't make it out. Hmm. And did you hear that voice clearly? Loud and clear. And my stepson and his wife were sitting there in the hospital room with me, and the doctor was standing to the right of my bed, and I, my body was becoming paralyzed, and I knew that I couldn't move. I, all I could um, move were my arms and my head and my chest. Hmm. And I was 
explaining to him, I'm there's something wrong with my body. I, I can't move my feet. I can't move my legs. And all he did was stand there and look at me. And so I, um, I, when I heard make a scene, make it big, or you won't make it out, um, I was in a Catholic hospital. So having grown up Roman Catholic, I thought, well, here's my chance to swear in a Catholic, you know, <laughs> facility. So I just let it rip. I got very loud and I started shaking the bed rails and I made a scene where people in the hallway started looking into the room. And then I threatened the doctor and I said, you have no idea who I'm related to. You have no idea what's going on. I told him, uh, I said, I, I, I hate to use this, but it's the truth. I said, you have no idea uh, who I'm connected to. I said, my husband played for the president. I said, you know, get me some help. And so he looked, he stops and looks at my stepson and he says, is this true? And he and his wife shook their heads. They just shook their heads. Yes. She's telling you the truth. You know, well, I so suppose at, at this point we should introduce, we should explain who your husband is or was at that time. Who was your husband at that time? So my husband at the time um, was, the, and still is, the trumpet player for the band Chicago, Lee Lochnane. So his son, Brian, was um, there with his wife in my room. And the reason that Lee was over the phone with me when I called him, uh, he was on the East Coast, was because he was on tour. So you said, let's get back to your story. You started yelling at this guy that you were connected to somebody who was extremely famous and and somewhat legendary. And yeah. what kind of response did you get? Well, the doctor looked at me as though I was tell I was just flat out lying and looked at, you know, my stepson and his wife and said, "Is she telling the truth?" and they nodded yes. He stood there and looked then looked back at me and I repeated you are so fired. I I just went off the grid with my language with them. And I said, didn't you understand what I just said? Find me another doctor. And I mean, I had to be my own advocate in that moment, which was really strange. Why, why do you suppose that is? I mean, I'm just curious. Someone comes into a hospital and they're in pain and agony. And you clearly have people who are supportive of you. You, you said that um, Brian and his wife were there. And how does it come that a doctor looks at you and says, oh, you're faking it and you're here for the drugs? I mean, what, where does that even come from? Have, have you ever thought about that? Well, I mean, I've had numerous doctors since then. And what, what my opinion is, about that is here's a man who was just jaded. He'd seen too many patients. He generalized me as being, you know, he probably had, you know, five different personality types and, oh, she falls into personality number four, the drug addict, the drug seeker. So he just labeled me whatever he thought that I was. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's very irresponsible what he did to make an assessment like that. Uh, I thought it was very irresponsible of him as a physician to, number one, call himself a physician and come walking into my um, 
room there to assist me, help me, you know, and, um, and call me out on something that was his fantasy of whatever he thought I was. It's frightening. It's a frightening concept that you can go to a hospital for help, be in pain, and get that kind of reaction. Let me ask you something. Had you ever heard voices before, this voice that said to you, um, you know, make a scene or you'll never get out of here? Had you ever heard a voice like that before? No, never. Did it surprise you to hear that voice? It did. I thought, who just said that to me? Who was that? And I'm looking at Brian and Candy. They didn't hear anything. And the doctor didn't say anything. Brian and Candy weren't saying anything. And I thought, what is going on here? Mm. You know, I, I couldn't explain it to save my life in that moment. Literally, I couldn't even explain what was happening. I just went with it. Mm-hmm. All right. So you made the scene. And did the doctor change his or did, did another doctor come in or how, how did this particular episode end uh he turned around and left and um i called the nursing station again i remember ringing the nursing station and this little nurse it, uh, god love her okay i mean she was fresh out of college you could tell nursing school you know, her hair was in place, her nails were done, she had perfume on. I, I figured out how to assess who was seasoned, you know. This girl was not. And she comes walking in and she says, I'm sorry, ma'am, we don't have another doctor for you. And I said, you find me another doctor. And of course, I threw down my F-bombs and everything. And I knew that my strength in my arms was leaving. And it was really frightening. And I thought, oh my God, I am going to die. I am going to die here. This is what's happening. Had you ever had a situation before medically where you thought you were going to die? Yes, but I wasn't conscious for it. I mean, I was in a horrific car accident when I was a kid, my first near-death experience. And it was, I was in a coma for eight days. I'd broken both my legs, lacerated my spleen. My face was like pretty much ripped off and all this, you know, stuff. And then I remember I'm laying in traction. My legs were in traction and I'm laying on this bed. I was nine years old and uh, I'm going, wow, where's my, where are my pets? You know, I grew up on the farm. So where are my pets? Why where are my cats? Where's my brother? Where? I didn't know. I didn't understand where I was, but I didn't think I was going to die. It was just later told to me that uh, you nearly died, you know, but your best friend died and so did her mom. And I thought, you know, I mean, it was tragic. I, I cried mm. as any kid would do, but. So you, you had come very close to death once before. Twice, actually. But yes, that was the first time. What was the second time? The second time, it was interesting. So when I was 11, um, <laughs> I I was Roman Catholic, right? So I was going to CCD, the catechism classes. I was preparing for my confirmation. And um, my mother switches to Hinduism. So she starts following this Charan Singh, some guru in India, and she became a vegetarian. So my whole life got t 
toppled over. What is going on in my life? What? Wait, what am I supposed to believe? I'm going to Catholic church and you're telling me you're going to follow this guy. Okay, fast forward at age 17, I go to bed one night and um, I was upstairs. I wasn't living on the farm at this time. We'd moved out. And um, my brothers, two of my brothers were um, asleep downstairs. One was asleep upstairs who shared a room with our mother. And I went down. I couldn't in the middle of the night. I just could not fall asleep. So I went down, turned on the TV, and some old movie was on. It was a black and white movie. And I was laying there watching it on the couch. And I thought, well, I'm tired now. So I went and turned it off and I, I just went back to sleep on the couch. And as soon, I, I don't even know how long I was asleep for. I have no idea. But my body, I was sucked out of my body. I was pulled out, okay? And I remember moving through space so fast. And I remember the wind going through my body, going down toward earth because I was going up. I didn't know where I was going. But I remember there were planets, there were primarily stars, but there were planets and there were clouds. And it was it was like looking at some, you know, space NASA picture of, you know, stars and whatever. And I remember all of a sudden there was Charan Singh's face. And I'm looking at him and he's smiling at me. And I thought, what? is happening here and there it's almost okay i'll describe it like this it's a picture and on the bottom left hand corner and right hand corner of the picture there is a thumb on each side well one was my mother's thumb and one was her friend judy's thumb and charan singh looked at me when i looked at him as i'm coming toward him very quickly he said, um, it, it's okay to come home now. If you'd like to come home, come home. And I thought, I have no idea what home is. I had no idea what home meant. Literally, I had no idea what home meant. So Charan Singh said, if you don't want to come, all you have to do is grab a thumb. And I got so scared I grabbed a thumb and immediately I was sucked back into my body and just, it was like getting slammed back and I sat straight up and I went, oh my God, what just happened to me? I couldn't wake my mother up. I couldn't wake my brothers up. You know, they were all younger than me. So it was something I just had to lay there with until I could figure out how to soothe myself to go back to sleep. But that was my second near-death experience. And that was very easy. That was a cakewalk, by the way. Why do you consider that a near-death experience? What was there about that that made you think that it had anything to do with death? Because when he said home, now that I've had my third near-death experience, now I know what home means for me. Let's continue your story from, from where you left off. You were, you were causing a scene in the hospital and saying that you needed someone to uh, attend to you and, and, and rescue you from the pain you were feeling. What happened next? Finally, I don't know how much time went by, but that doctor left. I never saw him again. I did not see that nurse again. I did threaten her and her job, and I threatened to get her fired. Um, finally, a woman came in, another hospitalist, 
And I remember she had glasses. She was tall. And the same nurse that I threatened was standing next to her. And this woman's face was absolutely, I I could, I, I mean, I remember looking at her and she was just beside herself. She said, oh my God, has anybody checked her creatinine level? Nobody told me how I looked. And it wasn't until later when a friend of mine, another girlfriend of mine came in and she told me, she said, Megan, when I saw you, I couldn't come back. She said, you'd gained all of this fluid in three days, 43 pounds of fluid, and you were gray. She said, I knew you were dying. I couldn't watch you die. And so I knew I was dying, but I couldn't see myself. So when this doctor looked at me and said, oh my God, has anybody checked her creatinine level? I'll never forget this little nurse standing next to her, whipping through her pages very quickly and looking, just going with her finger, you know, over the, over the paperwork. And she goes, no. And she said, oh my God, get her, her, she's in kidney failure, you know? So uh, they did some blood tests immediately. And within the hour, they found out that my kidneys had shut down. Completely. S- completely, yeah. So that's why I was in so much pain. And hmm. then when they found that out, I don't remember who got me out of that room, but they took me on a gurney ride so fast to dialysis. And I remember the head nurse down in the dialysis department. She was very kind. And she said, I I was by myself at this juncture. There was nobody next to me. And um, she said, I need your permission to do a blood transfusion. I need your permission to do a blood transfusion. And I said, a blood transfusion. And I'd had, you know, blood transfusions when I was, uh, after my car accident, when I was a kid. And so I, and I remember, you know, wait, a blood transfusion could mean a lot of things. It could mean a lot of disease. It could mean AIDS. It could mean, you know, anything it, it could happen. So I said to her, but what about, what about HIV and, and disease, I don't even know how I had the ability to think like this. But I asked her that and she looked at me and she kept just very sternly looking at me. She was right next to me and the gurney stopping and she says, I need your permission right now. I need your permission to give you a blood transfusion. We must do this and start you on dialysis. Please give me permission. And again, I heard a voice tell me, say yes. Was the voice familiar to you at all? No, no. It was the same voice that told me. Yeah, to make a scene. Yeah. and Oh, and when that new, I forgot to tell you this. The hospitalist who came in, the next one, the one who ordered the tests be done on my blood. When I was looking at her, I was so frightened. And I heard, uh, I heard the same voice say, relax. You can relax now. She knows what she's doing. Was it a male or a female voice? I don't remember. Were you at all freaked out by hearing voices? Well, yes and no. Yes, because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die, right? And I didn't want to leave my son. And I was in love with my husband. And and then I wasn't freaked out because it was so calm, the voice that I heard. It was just mm-hmm. reassuring me, everything's okay. 
there was no um, anxiety in the voice. There was no stress in the voice. It was very calming. So what happened next? She said to you, you need to give me permission. Did you finally give her permission after you heard the voice tell you to? Yes, I did. I gave her permission. And then what happened? Then I don't remember. (laughs) All I remember is waking up. I don't know how many days went by. I, I have no idea the time now. But I remember waking up. Um, and there was a dialysis nurse. Now I was in a room back in my hospital room and she was, she had the machines hooked up next to my bed and I opened my eyes and my, my hand grabbed her wrist because her wrist was right near my face or my, some, some, somewhere around my face, but heaven, it's heaven who directed me to do this. I know this now. But I was directed to open my eyes and grab her wrist and say to her, you have to get me off of this floor or I'm going to die here. And she stopped. I took her by surprise. She wasn't expecting me to wake up. And she stopped. And her response was, well, that's too much paperwork for me. And she said, my husband's the head nurse on the sixth floor. I'll have you moved. And... Mm. What I didn't know was that the sixth floor of this hospital was the sickest unit um, in the hospital. So she did have me moved immediately. And uh, I don't know if it was an hour later or two hours or whatever, but I remember I was moved in my own room and her husband came and met me as I was getting out of the elevator on my gurney. Somebody was taking me and I, uh, that's all I remember. And then the next thing I remember, I'm walking through clouds. So this is when your heaven experience begins. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to end it right here for now. Okay. When we pick up in our next episode, you're going to talk about entering heaven. Entering heaven. All right. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, John. Conversations with Megan is a production by and sole property of Project Hereafter in conjunction with Secret Media Empire and is copyright 2023. No portion of this podcast can be reproduced or broadcast without permission. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information and entertainment purposes only. Any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is the sole responsibility of the listener.